0: Very good morning everybody, this is Scorebox, welcome to the headlines this hour. The EU says the wiping out of Credit Suisse's 81 bonds was wrong. In an exclusive interview, the body responsible for winding up bad banks in the bloc says it would respect those bondholders in any future banking crisis.
1: In the European context, we would follow the hierarchy and we wanted to tell it very clearly uh, to the investors avoid to be misunderstood. We have no choice not to respect this hierarchy and resolution. And this is what we wanted to recall to investors.
0: US lawmakers accuse regulators of being, quote, asleep at the wheel amid the Silicon Valley bank and Signature Bank collapses amid heated questioning on the second day of hearings on the Hill.
2: The S&P 500 closes back above the 4,000 mark with tech names on pace for their best quarter since 2020 as concerns around the health of the banking sector ease. China's new premier warns against chaos and conflict as the Boa Forum opens, while IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva cautions countries against economic decoupling.
3: The long-term cost of trade fragmentation could be as high as 7% of global GDP roughly equivalent to the combined annual output of Germany and Japan.
0: So very good morning everybody. Good morning Karen. We're down to two this morning. Steve is uh, off on his travels. Uh, We've got an OB coming up so you'll see more of him later on in the week but interesting that this banking story now that we seem to have some calm in the markets at least, the finger-pointing continues and the recrimination start, it seems, at this point.
2: Yeah, in different areas, though, across in the States, around how one bank was supervised and what took place behind the scenes. I think even here in Europe, down to the CDS's, whether they're destabilising for the market given what we've seen from Credit Suisse right across to Deutsche Bank at this point.
0: Which, which is why it's critical that we understand how these regulators are thinking about winding up banks. And we've got this terrific exclusive interview for you from Sylvia. The Single Resolution Board. This is the body responsible for winding up banks in the EU. The chair, uh, Dominic Leborex, has told CNBC in an exclusive interview that the European banking system remains resilient despite recent volatility and says regulators remain vigilant as the sector recovers. Um, Let's get to Sylvia in Brussels. Sylvia, terrific that you had the opportunity to catch up with this gentleman. And I think what a lot of people will be hearing is not only the repetition that our banks are fine, but the important way in which this organisation would treat those people who hold different types of paper in the credit structure. Tell us a little bit more about the view from Brussels on what happened to Credit Suisse.
4: So, absolutely, Jeff, because this has been one of the main questions that investors have had in the wake of the announcement that UBS was buying Credit Suisse. What's going to happen to this hierarchy when a bank is about to collapse? Will it be respected? And the message from European regulators, including from the Single Resolution Board, is very clear. Equity is wiped out first, and then you go to the other asset classes. But for the time being, this is a very clear point from the European regulators, is that they will respect this hierarchy. He is the chair of the Single Resolution Board reiterating that message.
1: I think there is no reason to violate this hierarchy in the European context. In the banking union, we have for resolution cases a very, very clear legal framework. And so what we wanted to say to investors at the moment of the decisions taken by the Swiss authorities is that in the context of the banking union, let's say in the the members of this uh, banking union made of the supervisory board of a single uh, supervisory mechanism, sorry, and the single resolution mechanism, we would decide to respect, because this is the law in reality, the pecking order for absorbing losses, in particular in a resolution decision. Let me mention that what the Swiss authorities uh, decided upon was not exactly a a resolution decision. They said that it was out of resolution. But what I can tell you is that in resolution here, in the, the European context, we would follow the hierarchy. And we wanted to tell it very clearly uh, to the investors to avoid to be misunderstood. We have no choice not to respect this hierarchy in resolution and this is what we wanted to recall to investors.
4: So you would have never written down 81 bonds to start with?
1: We would have been able to uh, write down 81s but after the full equity stack.
4: I just want to get a clear message from you, because there are still some uh, um, fears, really, among ATO1 bondholders that perhaps they will be caught up in a similar situation in the eurozone. Could you guarantee that under no circumstances you'll start by writing down that sort of uh, asset?
1: Well, here I'm representing a resolution authority, so as a resolution authority in charge of the banking union resolution framework, I can tell you that I will respect Fully and entirely the legal framework. So, in resolution, when adopting a resolution scheme, I will respect this hierarchy, starting by absorbing the equity stack, and then the 81, and then the tie 2, and then the rest.
4: was any sort of doubt among investors in europe about whether regulators here will actually follow this hierarchy or whether they will be caught up in a similar situation to what happened in switzerland the message there from the single resolution board is very clear they will respect this they will respect the law as they put it now it's also important to keep in mind that we've had really several events surrounding banking in the last three to two to two, three weeks or so. And it's important to step back really and understand where we are and whether the banking system is actually resilient. Now the message and the view from the Europeans is that the banking system is resilient in this part of the world. That they have done a lot of work in the global, since the global financial crisis and that is paying off.
1: We need to take care of the, these market events because they can tell us uh, some elements. But we need to put these events into a broader perspective. And the broader perspective is made of a resilience of the banking system in the banking union. If you look at the past events, I mean COVID, uh, Archigos, uh, Green Seal, uh, the guild crisis in the UK last September, etc., etc., during the three last years, the resilience of the European banking system was very strong, based on a very good solvency and a very good liquidity and a very good profitability. If you look at the, the P&L, P&R, the profits made in 22, they are excellent. So, based on that, I, I, I really uh, believe that yes, there is a, a good resilience in our banking system. That does not mean that we don't have to be vigilant.
4: Now the chair of the Single Resolution Board was also very clear there in saying that they need to remain vigilant. Things are looking good for the time being, but they need to keep doing their work. And in essence, this is also important. It is also important message to the, to investors out there when they're looking to invest in Europe that they will follow the law, they will follow this hierarchy that is important for them. But at the same time, they are keeping an eye. And for the time being, though, we cannot rule out that the Europeans will be seeking to develop further regulation in the financial system. And Dominique Lambrechts hinted there that the end regulator parts of the market will be what the regulators here will be looking at next. So still send plenty of work to monitor from European regulators going forward.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. An uh, important conversation I think as we ask the question as to whether we're done when it comes to some of the stress we've seen in the banks at this point and for me it's this focus on debt instruments in Europe where regulators are really honing their attention and from the AT1s and how they're treated but also to the CDSs and what we saw was a blowout on both sides. The cost of insuring against default rose on some of these banks. Obviously a Credit Suisse we saw it on UBS and right across to Deutsche and there was a big question mark for the ECB yesterday. We heard from the EC supervisory board the chair who effectively was questioning the role of those cds's whether they're causing the market stress and if you just think about what we saw around deutsche bank very low volume of trade in these cds's wall street journal puts a three-month trade up until around the end of december in these contracts around deutsche bank and just nine contracts totaling 50 million dollars of debt just nine contracts in that three-month time frame as the average we're talking about a market the other week that was roiled by very low liquidity if you think about the the blowout that cds spread then saw huge market moves in the share prices of deutsche and others and this is the problem for the ecb supervisory board in a conference this week they're effectively saying that this is a very opaque opaque very shallow and very illiquid market and effectively that uh, with a, a few million on these CDS contracts you can move trillion euro asset bank valuations and that's a problem isn't it as we talk about stability from here for the banks in Europe.
0: Yeah I, I think it's always important to uh, stress test the system uh, and this is what is happening at this stage here and um, You know, I go somewhere down the road on this because I think it is important where you have illiquidity that changes price action, that the um, regulators should be very focused on that and they should look at potential remedies. I'm a little bit um, concerned if this becomes a blame the market for the ills of the bankers moment you know in the same way that in the past when we've had crises we blame the short sellers because they they should be more patriotic and they shouldn't bet against the failing business that of course is nonsense and i think in this situation it beholdens the banks and it beholdens the regulators to demonstrate the resilience of the business models here and i'm not surprised that the regulators in the states got a bit of a hammering yesterday in congress because why are we having bank failures at this stage? Where, where is the oversight? Where is the call into the office to have a little bit of a chat about some of the risks around deposit flight, perhaps, or about some other weaknesses in areas of the business model? Um, and so I think it's appropriate that we are you know, s- singling out these specific issues and saying, is there a problem here with price discovery? Does the price discovery around the CDS because so much is contingent on the pricing of the CDS and the way those bonds trade, is there something wrong with the liquidity around these products at this time? And if so, what can be done about that? I think it's all perfectly appropriate, but I think we also need to be very mindful that we've had um, over a decade of incredibly low interest rates and banks taking on duration risk without thinking too hard about what the consequences would be if we had multiple hikes in interest rates and that's what we've had. Surely All of these bankers have to understand that they operate in a world where there are two sides to the market.
2: It's a reset moment though, isn't it, whether we're seeing instability from very liquid parts of the market, uh, the tail wagging the dog. I mean, these instruments we're talking about in debt markets are meant to have a signaling function, an ability to uh, allow some corporates to hedge some of their exposures. But now if it's uh, an area that is causing instability in the mainstream product, then that is an area where you could see some further changes. But, uh, you know, so far over the course of the week, if we just revisit how the banks have performed. Uh, this is the trade. Deutsche recovering some of that territory up 7%. Gains uh, across the board to Santander up 5%. Uh, Commerce Bank, uh, you've seen bounces there as well. So it is a, a trade that has been firm in UBS, of course, uh, rallying 6.6%. A new report from the U.S. Senate Finance Committee alleges Credit Suisse helped Americans hide as much as $700 million from the Internal Revenue Service in violation of a 2014 plea deal over tax evasion. In the report, lawmakers say the allegations reveal a corporate culture at the Swiss lender, which played at least a part in its ultimate downfall. Credit Suisse told CNBC it does not tolerate tax evasion and that the allegations made after the two-year probe are based on legacy issues on which it has implemented extensive reforms. The U.S. fined Credit Suisse $2.6 billion under its plea deal nine years ago, but the figure was cut to $1.3 billion in return for compliance and disclosure rules. The Senate committee says these allegations, the latest allegations, could lead to one of the largest penalties for violations of foreign bank account registration rules in U.S. history
0: a swiss court will rule today on whether four employees of gazprom banks zurich branch neglected to raise the alarm on millions of francs moved through swiss accounts by a russian cellist and close friend of vladimir putin sergey Rudugin, who is on the sanctions list has been named as the owner of two accounts that were opened at the bank in 2014 despite having no listed business activity on his bank documents. Prosecutors allege the funds are linked to Putin himself. If convicted, the bankers face suspended jail sentences of up to seven months. I mean, I know that you can make good money uh, as a musician these days if you are top fiddle, but cellist, really? Hundreds of millions passing through a bank account in Switzerland? Uh, obviously that needs closer scrutiny. U.S. banking regulators fielded harsh questions on Wednesday in the second day of congressional hearings on the collapse of Signature and Silicon Valley banks. Lawmakers from both sides wanted to know how the failures had been allowed to happen amid a slew of warnings. But Fed Vice Chair Michael Barr tried to reassure lawmakers the banking system is in a good place.
4: We have really all the tools that we need on the macroprudential and microprudential side uh, to assess financial stability uh, and bank safety issues. And as I said, the banking system overall is, is sound and resilient. Deposits are safe. Uh, on the monetary policy side, we're going to be looking at incoming data. We're going to be looking at changing, in, uh, changing financial conditions. And we'll really make a judgment on a meeting-by-meeting basis about that decision.
2: Investors still raking over what we've seen in the banks uh, stateside and whether we are really through this crisis. Testimony around uh, the SVB collapse has been key. This is uh, what we've been hearing, that it uh, was supervision rather than broader systemic issues impacting the banks at this point. Investors leaning into that message, you can see another rally taking place right across the board, the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq. And uh, in particular, those tech names, again, right out in front, 1.8% higher over the course of the trading month. It's been a very strong trade we've seen the Nasdaq rally the tune of almost 14% for the quarter. Fang stocks right out in front as well, up about 16% over the first three months of the year, all at the same time, while you've seen a reversal in those major banks, down by about 17.5% for the quarter. So the selling, perhaps directly uh, as we've seen those uh, big banking names fall, it's been tech names that have been supported and in session, yes, so Apple, one of the big moving stocks to the upside, Microsoft as well. And these are two stocks, don't forget in times when we've seen bull markets and markets reaching for new index highs it's been these two stocks that have been major drivers behind the scenes in terms of the performance that we saw in session almost two percent on apple similar size tune for microsoft uh, even more on the trade for the likes of netflix in the streaming space meta up 2.3 percent in social media and across the board to other major names like amazon rallying three percent very strong trade playing out to the treasury markets We've seen a huge move uh, in the space of a number of sessions over the, over the matter of the quarter as well. What we've seen on that two-year, 30 basis point move down for the quarter. This is the first quarterly fall since March 2020. The level now 4.11. That is more elevated when, than where we were the other week amid heightened fears around banking contagion where we slipped below the 4% mark. But that said, we're well and truly off the highs above 5% that we've seen so far this year. So fast-moving pieces and as a result 4.11 where we sit today versus the 10 year the longer end. also that's been on a journey it is at 3.58. Still we're looking at inversion but much tighter levels than what we've had uh, over the course of this year even alone. To the dollar uh, this move that we are now seeing to the upside in yields to recover some of that lost territory is one that's putting a bit back in for the dollar trade this morning. Dollar is uh, claiming territory uh, against the euro, against the Japanese yen, trying to claim it against sterling at this stage and you can see uh, that is leaving us uh, in some ranges on those two major trades here in Europe. But against the yen, there's been uh, a little bit of slippage on that dollar trade because of the safe haven trade unwinding to an extent. So we're down a quarter of a percent there at this stage. Let me take you to WTI, Brent and Gold, the oil trades this morning. Again, oil was another fascinating fascinating one. It was very much uh, steered off course by the events around the banks and concerns coming to the fore again around a potential recession and just what that downfall would look like Rent prices this morning down four tenths below the seventy-eight dollar level, seventy-two seventy-eight on WTI, slippage of a quarter of a percent. And as for gold, a bullion having its moment earlier this month, we're coming off some of those higher ranges, nineteen sixty at this stage, slightly lower. Asian markets, it's been a big one. We've seen a huge wash up from the events around Alibaba's reorganization, hopes that we might be through the worst of and coming to the end of this cycle around the authorities targeting technology companies so that story has been carried a long way over the course of this week hong kong market just trading off a little bit today we're slipping 33 points or less than two tenths of a percent tone is slightly negative across the board the exception australia up one percent the only calls, Europe. As we get set up for trade, worth bearing in mind, we had a second positive session in three yesterday. We're up 1.3%. We're also sustaining gains for the quarter, not for the month, but for the quarter. We're up at almost 6%, down about 2% uh, plus percent for the month. These uh, early sig- uh, calls signal that we are going to see more upbeat action uh, chasing some fairly decent ranges on some of these markets, Jeff.
0: Terrific, Karen, thank you. Still to come on the programme, Taiwan defies Beijing once again as President Tsai Ing-wen touches down in New York, while China threatens retaliation. And also, as governments and watchdogs revisit banking oversight rules, you can stay up to date With all the latest by subscribing to the Squawk Box podcast, we've got a terrific exclusive interview with the Single Resolution Fund. We'll be right back. Good morning, everybody. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva has called for unity while addressing the Boao Forum in China, urging rich countries to do more to help vulnerable members of the global community. She said there is an urgent need for debt support and welcomed China's engagement in a common framework. She also warned the cost of trade fragmentation could be significant to the global economy, hitting Asia particularly hard.
3: The benefits of globalization have not been shared equally across countries or people. And we have learned that supply chains must be made more secure and more resilient to reinvigorate international trade in an equitable way and diversify supply chains based on economic logic. Our research shows that the long-term costs of trade fragmentation could be as high as 7% of global GDP, roughly equivalent to the combined annual output of Germany and Japan. And as a highly integrated region, Asia would be most adversely affected by runaway fragmentation.
2: Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen defied Beijing as she arrived in New York on a stopover, vowing not to let mainland China block the island from engaging with the world. Chinese authorities warned of retaliation if Tsai meets the U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. It is the first stop on a 10-day trip to Central America. But China said that it considered transiting through the US as a provocation that would sabotage peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Just to pick up on this, tour, uh, this trip, uh, I will stay two nights in New York on her way to Guatemala. Belize. Um, This is effectively two of uh, 13 countries that still recognize Taiwan, and then on to LA on the return for, uh, I think, a couple of nights, which is why we're we're calling this a stopover and transiting through. Interesting terminology anyway, when we're really talking about a a short visit here. But uh, the provocation that China is calling this, uh, the terminology they're using is that they will resolutely hit back. So big question marks as to what type of retaliation they're talking about. Uh, on the back of this visit so let's
0: link the two stories here because there is a connection between uh, Gorgieva's appeal and the language that she used uh, I think didn't really expose the underlying fear that there is within the IMF and some Western governments about the degree of Chinese lending to different countries around the world and there is an obvious difference in the terms because the IMF tends to lend at about two percent and China tends to lend at about five percent but China's lending has largely been mercantile in nature surrounding the Belt and Road project but one could also argue it's been predatory in the sense that where, company, where countries have been unable to repay at the rate or size that China expected, it's extracted concessions, whether that be access to a port or whether it be the purchase of a, a facility or, or whatever. The, the issue then coming to Taiwan here, I, of course, we're all worried about the possibility of an attack on Taiwan. And the the water's been muddied somewhat in recent days by the fact that ex-president Ma Ying-jeou went to Beijing uh, and was the first former or serving Taiwanese leader to go to the mainland since 1949. Now, the Chinese would have looked at this, the Beijing Chinese would have looked at this and said, oh, well, maybe this is an indication that all this pressure we're putting on Taiwan is working And this is forcing some uh, humility or diplomacy from the Taiwanese. But the ruling party called the trip regrettable. And so I think this um, trip that we're now describing with the sitting president is largely about continuing to insist that we are a separate entity and we believe we should continue to be so. And increasingly, it does seem that the surveys in Taiwan indicate that there is widespread support for, if not independence, the continuation of status quo at this stage, which must be enraging Xi Jinping, who seems to think that uh, everybody will fall in line the minute he gets upset.
2: The status quo is an interesting line because you think about how that is perceived in the United States. I mean, I think everybody's trying to draw lessons in uh, foreign circles around the ramifications of Russia and what happened with Ukraine and whether there was enough pushback uh, that was enough to prevent or perhaps could have prevented the situation we're facing today, whether we're sleepwalking to another situation when it comes to China and Taiwan. I think that that's been an issue for many, uh, just raking over that situation. And now when it comes to Taiwan, we think about the last visit from the United States, Nancy Pelosi. This was McCarthy's uh, predecessor effectively that stirred up a lot of tensions but was that a good thing to show a strong strong arm for the Americans in the region to push back even if it did irritate Xi Jinping or was it negative in the sense that it uh, has further inflamed tensions and it will push forward this conflict more than it would necessarily so I think big question marks at this point as to how you deal with the situation around Taiwan and I think this visit might be scoping out some of those reactions.
0: I don't think anybody's sleepwalking into this, are they? I mean, we're all eyes wide open and we're all terrified that this should happen. But uh, what the, the the unintended consequences, perhaps, of the sabre-rattling is that increasingly Western countries are being knit together in new military pacts. I mean, even, even the Kiwis, for goodness sake, are now talking about joining AUKUS. And, you know, for a long time they've looked after their own interests when it's come to Doing trade with China, saying one thing, but ultimately doing good business on the agricultural side. But I read even now New Zealand is considering whether it should be part of the non-nuclear part of AUKUS. So concerned are people becoming about Xi Jinping's um, tougher tone.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? All the countries around the region. And when it comes back to Taiwan, we think about the relevance of it, chips. I mean, we've got this huge technology fight playing out over chips. And China does not have the expertise that Taiwan does. In fact, when it comes to the United States, they also leverage a lot of the strength of that AI and chip expertise out of the Taiwan semiconductor makers. So I think this is very pressing as we talk about the future.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.